Hello and welcome to Inside Politics. This is Pat Leahy, political editor of the Irish Times. On today's podcast, we meet someone who has worked at the very heart of government. Fergal Purcell served as Taoiseach Enda Kenny's press secretary for six years and filled the same role for Leo Varadkar until he left government service last autumn. As such, he was well known to political journalists and we were well known to him. Thanks for having me. First of all, it's great to see what the inside of the Irish Times uh, looks like and all that warrant of activity out there and me trying to influence what you guys were writing over the years. As government press secretary, during the years of austerity, Purcell was no stranger to crisis. Among his responsibilities was to find and brief TDs and ministers willing to bat for Enda Kenny's administration when the chips were down. I remember uh, getting a heads up on a poll for, from this newspaper and that put Fine Gael at 19 points. 19. And I had to get someone for, to go on Sean O'Rourke the next day. Fine Gael and Labour ministers and TDs may well be wondering this morning what is it going to take to change their fortunes in the opinion polls and ultimately at the real polls because despite... And the I, you know, there was no cue now, Pat, to be honest, to do that job. What you mean is you asked ministers to go on Sean O'Rourke and they all... Well, the, I mean, there was a lot of... Busy diaries. There was a lot of unavailability and uh, I can understand that. I mean, we, were, we have been beaten up quite a bit. First of all, Brian Dowling, sum it up. Um, a disaster for the government parties and I don't think you could uh, put it any clearer than that. I couldn't get anyone to go on. And I thought, this is a tough gig. And Olivia Mitchell stepped up to the plate. He's a Fine Gael TD, he's yeah, now retired. Yeah, time now retired and like a really cogent communicator. You know, a very good politician. Olivia Mitchell, good morning to you. What are your thoughts when you wake up in a morning like this and see figures like that, Fine Gael, down at 19%? You know, you, you, you'd exchange a bit of over and back with anybody that was going on, that was part of the role. You know, you had the latest... You know, the government press secretary, just by dint of the appointment, has the latest information and you know can can brief someone properly. And I was really honest with her. I said, Olivia, I actually don't know what to say to you. You know, it's 19 points, like. You're just going to have to push back as best you can. As Sean O'Rourke, he's pretty good at taking, you know, taking you downtown if he has to. Um, very disappointed, Sean. Uh, good morning. Uh, yes, of course, we're disappointed. Um, and uh, and during the course of the conversation, she said something as a by the way. She said, I suppose taking money off people and expecting to get thanks for it is, is a hard message to sell. And I said, say that. The reality is that uh, we've just had almost four years of doing the most unpopular and difficult job. You know, a difficult job to do, but even more difficult for the people to endure. And it has impacted on everybody. And, you know, when you take money from people and you tell them it's for their own good, this isn't a popular message. And people, you know... That's exactly what you say. That's it. Pity I didn't think of it two years ago. <laughs> but she, she went on and it went very well. I sat down with Fergal earlier this week to talk about his time serving Enda Kenny, the nature of the relationship between politicians and the media and the style and substance of the new Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. But first, Fergal, I think our listeners would be interested in learning a bit about the role of government press secretary. What was a not a typical day. What was a typical daily workload? Do you know what, Pat? Believe it or not, that's actually the hardest of all the questions to answer. Um, what exactly the government press secretary does on a day-to-day basis is never the same thing anyway. What exactly the job is, if you were to write it down and try to describe what it is, it's almost impossible. It seems to me there's two 
sides to the role. There is the defensive aspect of it where you're getting queries from political journalists, government departments and their press officers getting queries from journalists and they have to be answered Mm -hmm. sooner or, uh, or later. And there's also the publication of government activity, press releases, press conferences, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah, that's all true. And and once you establish it, that kind of runs itself, to be honest, Pat. I mean, that wasn't what I spent my time doing. Once you establish the process of, you know, making sure there's a coherent system in place for departments to, you know, publish their, uh, their press releases in relation to the latest policy announcement or a more deliberate policy that had to be planned, all uh, the publication of a press release is is the beginning of something. It's the beginning of a conversation. And invariably, in this day and age, the press release is becoming somewhat redundant. I mean, it's almost too late. You know, it's too deliberate. It's too... Has it been overtaken by the tweet? Well, I'll give you an example. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Simon Harris was on Morning Ireland the other morning. Or, sorry, Simon Harris wasn't on Morning Ireland the other morning. That's actually the whole point of this story. Um, I missed Dr. Jordan, I can't remember his first name, head of the GP, Society of GPs, if I have my terminology right, uh, was on uh, on a particular issue uh, in relation to the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. And I think GPs, you know, being kind of first responders, if you like, to it and overseeing the, the process. And he was objecting to the fact that there, you know, as he saw it, had been no um, kind of consultation uh, in relation to that. Now, Simon's people had been on uh, before he ever came on the radio directly to him and he ha- in the knowledge that he was going on the radio and this is how dynamic you have to be like if you get wind that someone's going on the radio uh, m- potentially to challenge a position you have to get into the, 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 the producer's ear and start explaining your position not only that but Brian Dobson read out a tweet from Simon Harris's people before the show even ended Just a postscript to our interview a few minutes ago with Andy Jordan of the National Association of General Practitioners on the government's proposal for a GP-led abortion service, the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, has tweeted, let me provide, I quote here, let me provide that assurance now, there will be conscientious objection provided for. That is... Categorically clarifying the situation in relation to consultation with that group. So before you went off air, that's what, that's what the tweet does for you. The mechanics of government communications are fairly straightforward. The challenge is to win the conversation that goes with that. I mean, if you look at the stuff that you guys are reporting these days around the National Development Plan or around the Eighth Amendment, it's, I mean, you, what works for you is having something somebody else doesn't have or having something uh, ahead, of, ahead of everybody else or having a new angle and there's a story that's going to be ongoing and you're always looking for the new angle. Like, I mean, that's what someone like me used to do was to be in those conversations all the time. You know, usually on behalf of the Taoiseach, but, but often on behalf when things got hot on behalf of ministers. You, you referred there to being in the producer's ear. I think you used to have to do quite a lot of that or you saw that as part <laughs> of your role, particularly with relation to RTE because of its Monopoly, or because of its, you know, its 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 place in the market. RTE is the most important media yeah. operation. Yeah. Its news yeah. uh, programs reach massive audiences, proportional to the size of the uh, to the to the size of the country. So, an awful lot of your job, in terms of you put it politely, like curating this conversation mm-hmm. or, or or winning those winning those arguments, was going. Going at RTE and uh, yeah. saying you're misrepresenting us here or this is an unfair angle. Is, is that is that 
Is that a fair characterization? I, w- I wouldn't describe it as going at RT at all. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's a government ever been put in office and, and a press operation attached to it that didn't have some problem with RT at some stage, in their own minds. In their own minds. You know, and I'm not long out of it now, but already I can... I have a different perspective, I have to say. And you have to fight the good fight on behalf of uh, the people you're representing. But let's let's just paint a picture of where we were. 2011, nation broke. Country had a frown on its face. Anxieties were heightened after Moody's cut Ireland's credit rating to junk status, indicating a second bailout was likely. And the the media missed a beat. And they knew it. And, I mean, uh, the, the... I think general confidence in the in the country just bottomed out, and I think the media. When you say the media, I, I come back, I, I, I'll explain exactly what I mean. The media were weren't told the full truth or anything like it. It took Patrick Conan to go on Morning Ireland to outline the big news at the time in relation to the Troika and the fact that we would need a bailout. That didn't come from the government communications. I mean, I have nothing but empathy for Owen Acton. I have to say. I mean, he was left in an impossible... Who was government press secretary before, before me, and also an ex-army fellow, actually, which, which helped. Like yourself. Yes, yeah. And, and, you know, a kind of maybe a shared experience and an understanding of what a crisis looks like, a real one, you know? Um, but I, 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 I felt there was a backlash then, you know, uh, and I, I, like, I remember going down to a post-cabinet briefing with uh, Tony Heffernan, who kind of did, a, did the Labour kind of press officer job or press secretary job until Cathy came along. You know, he was never going to stay in the job. And Tony was a really experienced, hardened operator, a guy I have great time for. And he sat in a room and they attacked us. The, pol- the, the political correspondents went for us. Now, to put a bit of manners on the new crowd, of course, but if you think about it, the political, the political correspondents hadn't been told the full truth or anything like it, for, you know, not because of, uh, you know, the, the press people, but because the government couldn't decide what the truth was. At the time, that, that well, that, I guess that, the government that, the government knew what the truth was, but decided that it was in the national interest not to tell the. I full think that's a fair truth. point. I think that's a fair point too. Actually, I think that's a fair point. Did you too. gain an appreciation though for that? No, actually, no. To finish this piece, over time, then mutual trust has to be built. Respect is earned, and it's mutual, and that and that happened. When we talk about being in producers' ears, uh, and that's what you do to try to eke out fairness for yourself uh, and if you fairness feel, is very much in the eye of the beholder ah yeah it is of course I know, no, I'm prepared to accept that you know absolutely and it is entirely subjective you know I, I get that but there was no doubt in my mind that there was a kind of anger in the country that was being communicated through the media and uh, the government were get be- getting beaten up a lot and I, I, felt, I always felt that I had to do it now it, I have a slightly different perspective, though, on yeah. that, particularly from the from the early stages. Mm. I would have thought that when the Fine Gael Labour government came in with a huge majority mm. in 2011, just months after the bailout, there was a sense amongst journalists, as there was amongst the country at large, that they needed this government to work. Now, I think that the coverage probably hardened as time went on, but I think... Yeah. I, 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 I remember a particular uh, incident, uh, um, uh, which I presume was choreographed uh, by the by the likes of yourself when the Taoiseach walked to work mm. on his first mm. day. And I remember the RT bulletin saying that, you know, this was a good start for the Taoiseach mm. because he had demonstrated that he was able to walk to work. Thanks, lads. It's great to be able to walk to work. 
I remember thinking things might get a little bit more difficult uh, for him. Yeah, no, no, for sure. But I mean, symbols like that are important. You know, I mean, uh, you had to empath- you had to show empathy. It's not enough having empathy; you have to show it. And uh, I think a simple thing like that. I mean, not to overstate its importance or its value. He was going to walk to work anyway, Pat. He always walked to work. Yeah, exactly. This is point to that. But it's yeah, time, yeah, yeah, but when you're Taoiseach, you know, the day after you become your food tastes different. The world changes. And walking to work as a Taoiseach was a first. Whether or not he was going to do it anyway, it was a first. I, I think we wouldn't over, overplay that. I think, just to go back a bit, I think you're right. I think actually the period I'm referring to isn't immediately that we were in. It's actually about 18 months in. There was a moment at the height of water, we call it that, the politics the of water. water wars. Yeah, the water wars. At the height of that, there was an... Em- was, say, 2013, That's the period I'm talking about. There's no doubt in my mind that there was a period where we did not get a fair hop. Okay, it became a pattern. The American general has a saying, if everyone is thinking the same thing, then someone isn't thinking. And I think there was a, a, a monorail of thought around politics and the media at the time and we just couldn't catch a break. Now, did we handle water perfectly? No. Did we handle it well? No. Did we handle it badly? Probably. Was there any way we were going to introduce a new charge and be thanked for it at that point? I mean, there are water charges in every stable democracy on the face of the planet. We're not going to be satisfied until we bring this government down. And the Kenny, we're coming for you, your government, and we're going to take you down. Did you have a role in explaining to the Taoiseach at that stage, look, here's what the media debate looks like. Here's where this story is going. We need it. We're going to have to think about action. Okay, okay. uh, That's a really good question, actually, because what what you've identified is the point at which someone like a government press secretary has to make a judgment call about what's appropriate to say to a Taoiseach and what's not at any given moment. Like you're right on the edge of your remit there. You know, and there were, there were times I would express a view. We'd be preparing for leaders' questions. You would always express a view. Um, you, part of your role was always to reflect to, the, to a Taoiseach and ministers and your colleagues indeed, you know, the feeling of the media. That they knew what was in the papers. Because you had a role as a kind of an interlocutor between the press and the government. Yeah, I mean, my job was to explain the press to the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach to the press. And the government of the press, they, you know, and never the twain shall meet. And you know what? They're not supposed to. They're supposed to be a chafing in any healthy democracy. I mean, the Taoiseach, the current Taoiseach gave a great speech on this to the media on his first press conference. And he, I think he quoted Obama when he said, look, there's, there's supposed to be healthy scepticism. That's appropriate. You know, it's when it becomes cynicism and pessimism that you have a problem. And, I, you know, I don't think Andy got a fair hop, by the way, for what it's worth. From the press? No, I don't think so. Why? I don't know the answer to that question. I really don't. What's the basis for the judgment? Do you think that his coverage was overly dismissive, overly negative? Yeah. Look, I'll come back to it in a second. To answer answer your first question, right, about, you know, do you have a role in maybe we need to act here? A good politician works on his gut and Ender was a brilliant politician. I mean, mean, he really was. He was was an instinctive politician. No, yeah, no, to my mind. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, was he perfect? No. But he, he, he was quite brilliant. I witnessed him firsthand especially in America, lean across tables and say to CEOs or investors, you're not leaving our country. 
you're, t- you're leaving the jobs there and I'll tell you why you're doing it. And gating commitments to either come or stay to these people, you know. And, and that's the stuff that you just can't tell that publicly. That's impossible to tell, you know. Um, I don't think he fit a preconceived kind of notion of what some people thought in the media. And I think I remember uh, it was Roisin Ingle actually interviewed him uh, for... Uh, was the best interview, I, I think. She gets all the big gigs. She, <laughs> well, she, I remember, and uh, I, I, it was a series of questions that were asked by her on behalf of other people. She'd done a trot. And one of the questions was, are you kind of uh, put out by the fact that the, the seeming South Dublin set dismiss you? Something to that effect. And he said, not at all. Right, and I believe him when he says that. Well, she of course is from Sandy. Well, Lance, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe she didn't do South, South County Dublin, but uh, you know, as a, as a Kilkenny man and as a culture talking to another one, you know what I mean, right? When I say that, okay. But I don't think he, I don't think he, I don't think he got a, a fair up necessarily. However, if you look at the end of his tenure, there was an understanding that, notwithstanding, you know, the ebb and flow of politics, his career ended successfully. Very, very few politicians can say that. He and he, but he, not he, entirely on his own terms. He's, he, although it appeared like that when he actually left, because he had been forced by political circumstances Pat, Pat, this time last year. All, all that matters is how it appeared. That's in, in, in. If you want to get into the communications of politics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he curated that himself, start to finish. He managed that process himself, start to finish. No problem saying that. And he, and he, I thought he exited intact. And I thought some of the treatment of him in the end was a kind of realisation that maybe on occasion, not that this would ever be admitted. And I, well, I'll give you proof of this, Pat. He stood beside Donald Trump in the White House and gave one of the best speeches probably ever given by an Irish politician on foreign soil. And four decades before Lady Liberty lifted her lamp, we were the wretched refuse on the teeming shore. Over 200 million hits were picked up off a Channel 4 piece that was put out on Facebook. And that speech wasn't covered to any extent by the Irish travelling media at that time. The speech questions Enda was being asked on that trip are, when are you resigning? Not, how did you manage that balancing act? Now, Enda always said, if you wait for credit in politics, you're not going to get it. Like, it's just not going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I don't feel bad about this. Enda doesn't feel bad about this. It goes back to what I said earlier. It's, you know, giving out about the media, it's just utterly pointless. You know, but people do it anyway. I just have, have the view that I am delighted he, he had a dignified finish to his political career as Taoiseach. He's still a, obviously an elected politician. That's just my view. Let me go back to that point we were at uh, a couple of minutes ago, you know, with the shattered resignation, mm-hmm. resignation of Martin Kalman, and there were other departures mm-hmm. and other climb downs as well. Did you ever have to say to the Taoiseach, I think we're misreading this, we need to, the media aren't going to give up on this, we need to take action? I'm not, it's, it, it, <laughs> I value my reputation for discretion. And, um, you know, my role was to outline, and it wasn't always easy to do this, to be honest, you know. You know, I didn't often walk into the Hishuk's office with good news. That's not the nature of the job, you know. You know, you, you know we've gone up 10 points in the polls. It wasn't a sentence I ever uttered, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, uh, but at the same time, that's the gig, you know. 
That's the gig. And uh, yeah, I would have offered a view. Like you're in a group of people, you know, that is doing your best to ensure that he gets fair and best representation. So you will offer views. But, you know, the detail of what I might have said around particular issues, you know, I mean, I'll tell you what, when it gets bad, Pat, right, it's all public anyway. Like when it gets really bad, there's no secrets anyway. It's, it's, like it's out there. The, pro- the reason it's bad is that it's out there. But isn't part of the job to try, try to look around off. the corner oh, yeah. and try to head it off? Yeah. To say, this is going to get bad unless we... Yeah, yeah, unless yeah. this minister goes or... Yeah, goes, oh, no, no, or I mean... change our the, oh, let's position. Be, on let's be clear. That would have been utterly out of my, outside my remit. You know, I mean, I would never have spoken to the Taoiseach in those terms. Nor would he have had me speak to him in those terms. I don't think that was my role. You know, I'm an ex-army officer. You have a job to do, you do it. And there's clarity around what your mission is at any given moment. It's not that I'm an automaton. I have a view and I will express it. But, I mean, something as profound as that, you know, that, that seal gets handed to that minister by the president of this country. I mean, I have an appreciation. I mean, I was an army officer. You put your hand on a Bible, you spare a note to protect the constitution. So I, I have kind of strong views around what your role is in those in, in that space. When I ask you this next question, you're mm. going to say, no, never. And then I will uh, say, but were there times that you had to conceal or not disclose uh, more than you disclosed? So let's get on to it. Did you ever have to lie for your boss in a position where you thought it was the right thing to do or in the national interest or in his interest? Lying is never in the national interest. Never. And I never did it. Uh, and I'm not even going to say I never did it knowingly. I never did it knowingly or unknowingly. Now, how can you know that you lied unknowingly? There was key moments um, when there was things I wasn't told. Like up to, say, the prom note move. I was told that at the very, very last second. So that I couldn't be compromised. So a restructuring yeah, of national so, debt. Yeah, pardon yeah, me, yeah. thanks. Uh 2013. I yeah, think, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and all, the all-nighter and the messing that went on in the doll that night and all that. But, you know, and I was told, and I, and I remember there was moments when I would actually stop people, go, no, no, stop. I don't want to know. Not that it was difficult or, you know, how should I put this? Um, uh, you know, not that the information was anyway wrong or anything. It's just that if, if I don't have that piece there and I know pretty much what they're going to say. Well, then it just keeps things nice and simple. It's not going to be in the paper, right? You know, and, and you, I mean, the, the lie will kill, it's the lie that kills you. Like if, you, one of the hardest things to do is to be honest under pressure. It's really hard, right? You know, and I mean serious duress, massive duress. When, when you've got a good media, and we have a good media in this country, caught a spade a spade. I don't care what anyone says. We can give out about it and we do. There are good people, very good people, working in this trade. The future of the trade is up for discussion. But like, there are no circumstances under which lying works there. You know, so there, maybe, there let's are, move on to the other part of the question yeah. then. Did you have to, because I assume you did at times, have to just not because either because you weren't asked in a sufficiently specific way are times when you knew things when you have to say I can't tell you that or I don't know or I'll have to get back uh, to you on that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's just called news management. I mean that's different. 
You know, I mean, and I really put her in an absolutely separate category. If the, no, it always comes down to the issue, like, you know, serious justice issues at the time, which, to be honest with you, nearly drove me batty at the time. Very stressful period. You know, if you were to ask my wife at home, you know, at what point in the arc of that experience did I find it most difficult? It wasn't water, it was that, around that time. That period yeah. in the spring of 2014, yeah. Yeah. which culminated in the resignation of the Garda Commissioner and yeah. Alan Shatter. Yeah, I just, I just, because it was incessant and vitriolic and there was a tone attached to the questions and it, it, it was nasty. You know, there was, and there was certain people felt entitled to say things about the Taoiseach that were just either plain wrong or just kind of quite personal. When Enda Kenny's time came to an end, he stayed on for a time as press secretary to his successor, Leo Varadkar. For Leo, and I was a little bit surprised that he asked, you know, I mean, he was a hard dog to keep in the porch. When he what was do you a, mean by that? Well, he, he wasn't overly fond of the, the message, you know, especially when he didn't agree with because it. Because he had headaches for you when you were several, writing the message. Several, several, <laughs> several. And, and the, the, the difficulty was he was often right, you know. But you see, kind of getting ahead of where the government was at, the government... Well, you can't do that as Taoiseach, though. Not at all. You can't no. emerge, deliver a message and disappear again in the way that Leo yeah. used to do yeah, but he, I mean, he, he was a minister. I mean, he was mostly right a lot of the time. And, and you know, we had... I mean, the penny dropped with me and Leo Varadkar a long time ago. Brilliant politician, peerless communicator. A kind of second penny dropped with me when I got in, working with him. You know, a kind of... I mean, people talk about his intelligence and all that. There's more to it than that. It's his application of his intelligence that's impressive. Like I know a lot of clever people. I don't know anybody as clever at applying their cleverness. Nobody. You know, I mean, that can make it so, make it a policy, make it a view, make it a speech. And that journey between his head and his meticulous preparer and all that. One of the brilliant things about... Leo's attitude to communication is not only that he's a peerless communicator himself, but he's got a, a very simple but really effective approach. And it's this. You want to concentrate on the 10% that's bad. That's fine. That's your job. I get it. But I'm going to insist on telling the full story, whether you like it or not. He's addressing the media. Yeah. In this. No, no, I mean, so he, that has he, led to he's not going to use those words. He's not going to use those words, but he's going to. That's what that, he means. That's what he means. I think that's what he means anyway. And, and it makes complete sense. I mean, if we're going to talk about a particular issue, let's talk about it in its 360, you know, and that's hard to eke out the space for yourself. And, you know, I think it's only fair that he, that he tries. We didn't have that kind of luxury, to be honest. We were literally, you know, uh, I'm reminded of one of the, law, the Murphy's Laws of Combat, uh, which I, lo- I love them. I think they're always applicable to politics, but one of them is never share a, a foxhole with someone braver than you. You know, he'll get you killed. You know, that's what it was kind of like for about three or four years. You know, you're, you're, you didn't want to get hit by income and fire. You were taking cover a lot, you know. Purcell is now Director of Public Affairs with Edelman, the international public relations firm. This week, Edelman published its annual Trust Barometer, a study examining public attitudes to institutions, including government and the press. I'm, you will be pleased to see that trust in government <laughs> has, has rocketed since your departure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, uh, oh, and I see that trust in traditional media yeah. has, uh, has, has also uh, yeah. has increased and increased substantially. I mean, this is the conversation I'd love to hear more, to be honest, in our media, about our media. I mean, you're not good at criticising yourselves. You're just not good at it. OK, and uh, you need to get better at it. 
And that's my honest view. And I think if you did get better at it, you'd solve your paywall problem an awful lot quicker. What with the signal finding from Edelman's uh, trust barometer, which is across 28 countries, 33,000 sample. And basically it measures trust in four institutions, non-governmental organisations, government, media and business, and asks a series of questions. And while trust overall in the media is plummeting, trust in traditional journalism, because media is now a very broad definition, includes platforms, social media, citizen journalism. Trust in social or in tradition, traditional journalism, and even what that is, is actually hard to define too, if you want to, in one sense it is, if you include online on that. However, it's gone up by 5%. And trust in um, non-traditional or platforms has gone down 8 The dichotomy is really wide in Ireland. The difference between trust and platforms and trust in traditional journalism this year, according to the Edelman Barometer Survey, is very significant. And I think there's a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves out of it. One is, people are now literate in media. They do not like either the fact or the impression that someone is interfering with the truth on their behalf. The idea of it even. Fake news. Mark Little objected to the term fake news today. Like he says, no, it's misinformation. Fake news is a term that's used by people who don't like what you're saying. And that's a very good point, to be honest, right? Uh, And I agree with him on it. But there is still a phenomenon that is fake news. So let's just use it for for, for convenience purposes. So so that's that's one thing. Uh, You know, this has been discussed before. You know, what are the numbers on the New York Times model now, on the paywall? People will pay for the truth. It goes back to you asked me earlier, did you ever lie? No, is the answer to that. And people don't want you to. Why is Leo such a popular politician? It's not only that he tells the truth. It's that he demonstrates that he tells the truth. He proves that he tells the truth. People don't believe what they hear anymore. They want you to show them. What have politicians been accused of for generations? Not doing what they said they'd do, okay? And, you know, watch what the current Taoiseach says. He always says what he can do. And he does, he's not afraid to take a big step. I mean, he's not afraid to throw his hat over the wall and go and get it. And what the, what the Edelman Trust Barometer is, is doing is taking the pulse of the truth. I mean, this newspaper does qualitative analysis, and research. Once you're in that space, you're into subjectivity, and it's only as go- the information is only as good as the person holding it. You know, the, 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 maybe a bit of experience, intelligence, insight. Any data, even empirical, quantitative, can t- tell you what you want it to tell you. Can you? I mean, you can interpret anything. Even 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 a poll. You know, if it's if it's within the margin of error, will, will will be you can spin it any way you want. If you, you know, as a journalist, by the way, who are the best spinners of all. <laughs> Yeah, I, and that was, that's from Alistair Campbell. That's not my line. How long is this government going to last? Uh, sure. If you guys were to be believed, it was going to be dead the first summer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's the most stable. Honestly, what do you think? It's the most stable minority government I've seen. And it's stable in no small part to Simon Coveney, I have to say. I witnessed firsthand the due diligence he applied to the kind of... The independence. In particular. But the independents aren't the wobbly bit now. Fianna Fáil is, isn't it? But even there, he was very good. Yeah. I mean, it's all, I mean, it's all, we're already in bonus country, I think. I, that's what I think. I mean... So, not much longer. I don't know. I mean, I can't, you see, here's the thing, right? Like, in this trade of politics, there's constantly people telling you what's going to happen. And they're always wrong, right? I, I'll, give you, I'll give you 
a couple of examples at the top of my head. David Cameron wasn't going to get an overall majority. He wasn't. He was going to lose power that that election, and he got an overall majority with Paddy Ashdown was talking about eating his hat. The, the Liberal Democrats got slaughtered. Theresa May, all she had to do was go to the people and uh, confirm a massive majority. Brexit was going to pass, and Clinton was going to be president. You know, anyone back in against any of those at the time. So, so what I'm saying to you is, I don't know. I don't know, Pat. That's the truth of it. <laughs> On that note, Fergal Purcell, thanks for coming in to us. Thanks, Pat, for having me. Thanks for listening to Inside Politics. <laughs>